As we continue our series on the book of Philippians uh, this morning, we look at another interesting event in the church of Philippi. As we, Joan alluded to already, that this passage begins with a situation of disagreement and conflict. Paul's concern is about unity in the church. And, and, and Paul, and unity doesn't mean that we always have to agree with things, but it does mean that we, as according to poet Paul says, that we have to be of the same mind. And moving forward to advance the church and the kingdom of God by loving God's God and loving God's people, despite any and often many differences and circumstances. So as we read in a moment from Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9, let's come to our God in prayer first. Father God, you're a God of relationships and a God of unity. And you desire relationships and unity for your people and for your church. And so we ask that you bless the reading of your word and then the preaching again this morning and open our eyes and minds and hearts to your Spirit's teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So several years ago, I uh, enrolled in a course called Conflict Management in the Church. Now, you would think that conflict and the church should not be used in the same sentence, right? Well, let's be honest and let's be practical. The first conflict in the Bible, besides Adam and Eve, occurred with Cain and Abel. And then from there on, the Bible is just loaded with conflict. We see it among the Israelites and the leaders in the Old Testament. And then we see it among Jesus and the disciples and the church in the New Testament. Wherever there is relationship, there is conflict. Husbands and wives, parents and children... Students and teachers, brothers and sisters, boyfriends and girlfriends, pastors and people. You get the point. Recall the title of the course was Conflict Management in the, court, in the Church. The title was not How to Get Rid of Conflict in the Church. Because conflict is inevitable. But it doesn't need to be encouraged either. And when we are talking about conflict in the church, we're not only referring to the church issues, the church here as we meet together, but also you, the church out there, wherever we are, wherever we are called to be the church. On account of COVID-19, conflict situations probably increased 
And in other instances and situations, conflict perhaps decreased. And in both cases, it likely had to do with the amount of time that was invested or not invested into relationships. If there were people isolating together, spending more time with each other, relationships increased, connection increased, conflict likely increased. If a distancing occurred in, re- in the relationship, the conflict probably decreased. I think many pastors saw that with church issues and a decrease in community and relationship results in a decrease of conflict. It makes sense. Relations, relationships and conflict go together. However, this doesn't necessarily make sense with social media and conflict, but we won't even go there. But in chapter 4, we have two ladies. And they're not distanced from each other. They're involved in the community together and involved in relationship. Yodi and Syntyche have worked together in the church, in the community, alongside of Paul. They're believers and they're leaders in the church. And they had a great example and a godly example, a godly person to imitate. And yet there was some sort of a disagreement that was going on. And we're not even told what they're disagreeing about. And it probably doesn't matter. Because often the issue that we see is often not the issue at hand. These two ladies disrupted the ministries of the church. Their disagreements, their, their disagreement, um, which, but more so their disunity, was such that it brought disunity among the remaining of the church. And so Paul calls them out by name. And let's just take a look at this for a moment. Uh, let's look at the passage. And we begin with, Paul begins with verse 1 when uh, he uses the word therefore. And when the word therefore is used in scriptures, you have to look back and in, in previous to what's going on to see what is being therefore. In chapter 3, Paul referred to truth and doctrine and knowing Christ. And when we have doctrines and truths in the church, they're meant to be lived out. They are to be applied to our daily lives. And so Paul follows these truths, follows up with these truths with a real example of how to live the gospel out even with conflict and disagreement. Paul begins by stating who he is writing to. Therefore, again, going on to what was said earlier, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, dear friends, It is important to establish that even though there's conflict, Paul refers to the people as brothers and sisters. He refers to them as dear friends, beloved, those whom I love. Love does not cease simply because there's conflict. Love may be lived out differently, but it doesn't stop. And then Paul commands the people to stand firm. Now stand firm is, in this context, is often used as a military term. And even though they are in conflict, they are by no means at war with one another. But it's a military term that's used because we are at war with the devil. And the devil will attempt to take a foothold and bring disunity. People stand firm in the Lord. It's not about standing firm in traditions or even our personal preferences or experiences or in our pride. It is standing firm in the Lord and his gospel and in his truth. After establishing and expressing Paul's love for the people, 
Paul then gets kind of to the root of the problem. And these two women are frontline workers in the church. They're servants and they're volunteers who are busy in ministry. And the problem wasn't that they were so involved in things. I mean, they were, they were highly involved members. The problem was likely not even that they disagreed with things. But the problem is that they were not unified. They were not of the same mind. And their breach in unity between the two of them brought about a disunity in the church, the whole. Some may recall in previous sermons about unity that we were reminded that we, the people, do not create unity. We, the people, are unable to create unity. We don't have it in us to do that. The Holy Spirit brings unity to the church. And then we, the people, are called to maintain the unity, to keep the unity. You can read that in Ephesians 4, 3. And although we do not create unity, we are able to uncreate unity. We're able to destroy unity. And so again, it is important that we believers ensure that we keep and maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit empowers and gifts us with. And so Paul pleads, and he says this twice in verse 2. He pleads with Euodia. He pleads with Syntyche. Paul is pleading with both these women. Because there's two people involved, and they each need to reflect on themselves. It's not about determining blame. It's about how, how addressing, addressing they are behaving in the certain situations. When you are in conflict, you cannot change the other person. You can only change, only work on the change in yourself. You can only choose how you will behave and how you will love. Think of a current relationship that you're in. It's not only about the other person changing, but where do you need to change? Joan's illustration this morning about the boat and the lighthouse is perfect for that. The boat (laughs) had to look at where did they need to change. The lighthouse couldn't. And then in verse 3, Paul goes on to briefly talk about the book of life. He's talking about salvation and eternal life in the midst of conflict. He's making mention to say that even two people who are in conflict can still forgive each other and be forgiven by God. God's grace is so amazing that he will include people in the book of life who have been in conflict The Philippian people are not to judge these two ladies and write them off as unbelievers. No, these are sisters in Jesus Christ. And on account of that, as a response of God's amazing grace, it is much more importantly to work things out. So then Paul now moves on to addressing the rest of the church. Paul's concerned about the unity of the church. What is God teaching the whole church on account of this conflict situation? What can the whole church learn well, verse 6, Paul starts to talk, off about, talk about not being anxious. Now, this text, of course, was originally written in Greek, but the German word for anxiety means to strangle or to choke. Anxiety can easily choke the life out of a person. Anxiety strangles the truth. Anxiety results in us focusing on the wrong things, and then conflict and anxiety often go together. There's been a lot of anxiety created in our lives over these past several months in 2020. 
And this anxiety will no doubt impact our families, our communities, our churches. They'll impact, it'll impact our relationships. COVID-19 has set us and the church in a direction that who would have even have thought that it would go in that direction? I mean, we're presently having discussions like, who do we invite to church first at the building? Who would have ever thought that would be a discussion? And the racial tensions that have, that, that have always been around and have now been addressed more visibly. Of course, conflicts and crisis will result in anxiety. So anxiety and conflict do not have to be a bad thing. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you went to the doctor. And the doctor finds out that you have a tumor inside your body. But the doctor, in his wisdom, decides not to create anxiety for you. So his diagnosis to you is, don't worry. Nothing to do. Don't worry about a thing. You see, no anxiety was created. But then also no solution was worked on. And if there's no solution, this could eventually lead to death. The response should have been that you have a tumor inside your body and you need to deal with it. Yes, of course this would result in a lot of anxiety, but a healthy response would be able to begin a path of healing. And so this anxiety is a good thing if it's brought out in a healthy way that brings healing and growth. With this incident with the two ladies, Paul is setting the stage that yes, there will be anxiety occurring in the church. And so we need to implement a healthy plan of healing restoring relationships and bringing unity. Again, not necessarily agreeing, but being of the same mind. And this conflict brought out probably a lot of anxiety among the ladies and the church. And so verses 4 to 9 are loaded with the healing process. So Paul starts off by saying, always rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again, Paul says, just in case you missed it the first time, rejoice. Now, it's always important stuff when Paul repeats himself. Rejoice. But let's think about that for a moment. Have you ever been in a conflict situation? Perhaps even a group setting? Of course you have. We all have. Imagine for a moment where two people are disagreeing and everyone's just kind of sitting around listening to the disagreement and sitting in awkward in silence. And then as one of the bystanders, you suddenly shout out, let's rejoice, because Paul said so, right? Well, really, that would seem somewhat insensitive and probably make things way more awkward. Now, maybe everybody would burst out laughing, but I would think it'd be awkward. Paul's not saying to interrupt the moment with a command to rejoice. He's encouraging a change in perspective. In times of conflict and anxiety, our response should be one of rejoice. This is meaning that conflict doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. If treated properly, it can be a cause of growth and eventual celebration. In many situations, in families and churches, so often we'd rather not bring things up for that Proverbial phrase, fear of ruffling feathers or creating conflict. You see, when fear drives a decision rather than the spirit, it removes any opportunity to rejoice. The word rejoice means 
to enjoy a state of happiness and well-being. Or another phrase that's used for the term rejoice, my heart shouts because my heart is happy. A believer's heart rejoices in the Lord. It may not change the circumstances immediately or maybe even at all. Paul was still in prison. We still have conflicts. We still have anxiety on account of COVID-19. It's still out there. And racial tensions are out there. The circumstances may not have changed, but our response to it can. So being able to rejoice is not only an outward emotion where you have to yell rejoice and everybody's smiling. No, it's an inward state. What flows from the heart comes out through the mouth. What is in our heart is reflected by our actions, by our behavior. It is reflected by our character. When our heart is rejoicing, even though outward circumstances may be such that there's high anxiety and it makes, and that anxiety makes more sense than rejoicing, but when our heart is rejoicing, our character will flow out from our heart. A family, or a workplace, or a school setting, or a community with rejoicing in their hearts will be more encouraging and obedient than a community with unhealthy, constant anxiety in their hearts. In fact, Paul then says, states to let our gentleness be evident to all. If a community is operating out of fear, then you're unable to show your gentleness. So Paul then refers to a couple of responses, how we can make a choice of rejoicing and being gentle. He first talks about prayer and bringing things before God and thanksgiving. And then he talks about our thinking and our practicing. So prayer, thinking, and practicing. Verse 6, we read, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Prayer, among many things, is also a release of control. It's saying to God, God, there's no sense that two people are worrying about these things. So God, you take care of it. Commit our worries to God in prayer, and he will take care of them. Now, we, of course, will still care about what we bring before the Lord in prayer, but we don't have to allow these things to burden us down. Let God take them on him. He hears. He cares. And the purpose of prayer is not to get what we want. The purpose of prayer is to have a relationship with God. It's communication with God. So in prayer, yes, we, we bring our requests, as we said, because he cares. And we bring our thanksgivings to God. That means finding the thankfulness, even in conflict. God will move our hearts in the direction from anxiety to one that God desires one of rejoicing, a happy heart. So we make a choice to pray and allow God's peace to be upon us. We also must be intentional about what's on our minds. Thinking, whatever is true, whatever is noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy things, All these things. Think about these things. And yet, how many times can we not catch ourselves that we're putting our attention and our thoughts on opposite things? Oh, that person's such a whatever. 
and our mind goes to oh, whatever's false or immoral or wrong, gossip, impure, disliked, unworthy, you get the point. And instead of our prayer life being thankful, our prayer life will consist of, oh, Lord, this is all going wrong, and this person and that person, and oh, by the way, can you smite that person and that person too while you're at it? Don't do that. We need to choose to keep Paul's list in our thoughts instead of our own list. Think about these biblical and holy characteristics, and then not only think about them, but practice them. Paul states in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Think and practice. So pray, think, practice. We learn from community and we put what we learn into practice within the community. Throughout life, we have opportunities to practice. And believe me, in our families, in our workplaces, in our education, in the church, there are ample opportunities to practice, right? And I hope COVID-19 has allowed us to practice many of these biblical characteristics that Paul states and allowed us to practice the gentleness that's required. Well, COVID-19 has definitely taught us that we cannot possibly prepare ourselves for all the circumstances that occur in life. But as we go through life, we can practice to have the proper character. And when we are tested, our Christian character will shine through. The church and the Christian community are the best places. They're the best practicing grounds for dealing with our conflict. There's no better community than to, in, to practice in. Again, it's an unhealthy practice to sit idle for fear of ruffling feathers. We see that through the life of Jesus. He didn't sit idle. Jesus proclaimed the truth and the gospel. And yeah, he ruffled feathers and he created conflict. And yet God used this conflict for his purpose and his glory. The conflict resulted in Jesus being crucified on the cross. And yet this brought forgiveness of sins and salvation to many. His crucifixion brought us peace. Conflict brought us peace. God took this conflict and he used it to his glory for the sake of his people. On account of salvation, may our lives and our works and our character reflect Jesus. May our character reflect that we are followers of Jesus. And don't get discouraged that you haven't arrived yet. None of us have arrived yet. It's a process it's a journey of becoming. It's a journey of transforming. It's a journey of continuing experiencing God's grace and grace to one another. It's about surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as individuals and as a church. Wherever God places us as a church, not only in this building and in the, the rooms here, wherever we are as a church. God has blessed us with the community of the saints his church. Rejoice. May together each of us rejoice and give glory to our Lord and our Savior who continues to be at work in our hearts and in our lives, transforming us more and more into his likeness through his spirit and his church. Amen. Let us come to God in prayer. Holy and awesome God,
You are our Father, Savior, and Spirit, and we praise you, our one God. We praise you for this beautiful day, for this time of worship, even being distanced from one another. We still are able to worship you. We thank you that we can come before you in prayer as well, and we bring before you the needs of the world. And where there is conflict and unrest and unhealth, we pray for your presence and healing. Where there is poverty and hunger, use us with the blessings that we have from you to share with others. Where there is racial strife, bring respect and equality and justice among your people. Where there are places your word has not reached, we pray for openness and opportunities. Lord, in the name of Jesus, protect your people and bring healing and restoration to the nations so that each of our hearts can rejoice in the Lord always. Lord God, among your people here, there's loneliness and sadness and depression and disease. And there are hurts and angers and judgments and unforgiveness, friction and hard hearts. And Lord, we lift up this brokenness to you. And Lord, through the amazing power of your Holy Spirit, work in each of us and work in each of our hearts, our minds, our bodies to remove what needs to be removed, to heal what needs to be healed, to forgive what needs to be forgiven, to comfort those who need to be comforted. And above all, provide us your Holy Spirit and faith to strive to walk in obedience to your will. We pray for those among us who are struggling with various forms of mental illness or physical illness. Lord, we pray for your grace and strength in their lives and the lives of their caregivers and family members. Provide them a measure of hope. We ask for your care over the unborn children and the expectant mothers and fathers. We lift up the needs of children and youth. We pray for young adults and young couples and those who are single. We pray for parents. We pray for grandparents and seniors as they too often suffer with struggles, whether physical or spiritual. We ask for your grace in each of our lives and each of our circumstances. And we specifically lift up young Troy as he and his family deals with the cancer in his body. Bring healing to Troy. Bring strength and healing to Martha and to Marilyn as they're in the hospital. And we thank you that Eric was spared uh, through his heart attack last weekend. And we ask that you continue to bring healing and strength to him. We also pray your blessing on students who have finished school. Bless the upcoming summer break. Bless those who have milestones in their lives of graduating and continuing education or entering into the workforce. Bless their journey and may they continue to seek you for guidance in their lives. And Lord, on this day of recognizing fathers, we pray for all men and particularly fathers and husbands who are called to be spiritual leaders and examples in families. Equip them and give them wisdom and guidance in these tasks. And when we fall short, continue to extend your grace and mercy to each. We pray for boys and young men who may one day be a husband or father, if that's your will and calling. Equip them today to serve you. We pray for families who are without a father, perhaps due to death. We ask that you give each person strength through your comforting spirit. We pray for families who are without fathers, perhaps due to separation or neglect. Watch over these families and provide wisdom and guidance to the mother who assumes a double task. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you for your spirit, for the unity that we have in the church. And we pray this only in the name of Jesus. Amen.